on, Next Level Church. Good to see all of you. Yeah, welcome. My name is Matt Keller. I am the lead pastor here at Next Level Church. And wow, what an incredible series this has been. Man, let me just encourage you. If you have missed any of uh, the, the last three parts of the Circle Maker series, what we've been talking about here at Next Level Church, uh, let me just encourage you this week, go to nextlevelchurch.com where you can watch or listen uh, to those messages. And, and I just, I, I want to encourage you, man, get caught up, especially in light of Pastor Mark Batterson being here to put the caboose on this big thing and just the grand finale next weekend. It's just going to be incredible. And so uh, just I want to encourage you to get caught up on that. Well, this is part four of our Circle Maker series, and this weekend, uh, in all of our services, we're talking about praying circles around our biggest dreams. Praying circles around our biggest dreams, and, and this weekend, I want to go in, in a few different directions. First of all, I want us to, to take a detailed look into the life of a, a Bible hero that may be familiar to some of us, maybe unfamiliar to others of us, uh, named Joseph. He was a guy who dreamed big dreams, and so we're going to look in detail uh, at his life and the big dreams that God had for him. And then secondly, uh, we're going to look at our story, Next Level Church's story and, and, and Sarah and I's story. And uh, the reason why is because we recognize that over the last several months, uh, and maybe even over the last you know year or so, we've added so many hundreds of people to Next Level that are probably new to the story. And, and I think it's important for us at periodic times to go back and, 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 and fill in some of the gaps of how all of this came to be. So I want us to look at that. And then finally, uh, this weekend, I want us to talk about you. And I want us to, to look into your life. And my hope is that as we go through this message here over the next few minutes, that it will, uh, it will penetrate your heart in some way because we truly serve a God of big dreams. We serve a God of big dreams. So if you have your Bibles uh, or your smartphone apps, as we just talked about, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 37? Genesis chapter 37 is where we find the story of Joseph. Now, when we say Joseph, we're not talking about Joseph of the Mary and Joseph version of the Bible. Not that, not that one, not that, not that place in the New Testament, which I always find it interesting as I study the Bible because it, it, God had infinite number of names he could have used. And yet somehow, for some reason that we won't know on this side of heaven, he chose to be redundant at times with names. I, I, and I'm, I, 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 he didn't ask me, but that's just my, I'm like, Lord, you couldn't have been any more creative, but I don't really say that to him because it's like, <laughs> no, just kidding. So anyway, Genesis 37 in the Old Testament, the very first book of the Bible, we find a guy named Joseph. And Joseph, let me give you a little backstory. Joseph was the great grandson of a guy named Abraham. And for those of us who've been around Bible study for any length in our, in our, in our life, um, we're probably familiar with this guy named Abraham. We probably studied his life. Abraham was known as the father of the faith. And so uh, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob was, God later changed his name to Israel. Yes, that Israel, who be, eventually became the nation of Israel, Israel, who was the people of God in the Old Testament, Israel, that Israel or Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons. And one of the last sons that Jacob had was named Joseph. And the Bible tells us that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, that, that for whatever reason, Jacob loved Joseph a lot. Matter of fact, there's this one instance uh, in, in the Bible where it tells us that Jacob had a, a, like a, a coat of many colors, like this, this multiple colored, beautiful coats, this garment made especially for Joseph so that everywhere he went in town, 
people would know, oh, that's Jacob's favorite. That's Jacob's favorite. Well, as you can imagine, his brothers, the other 11 brothers, they didn't think that was real cool. They didn't, they weren't real fond of this Joseph because he was Jacob's favorite son. And Joseph was a guy who had the ability to dream big dreams, to see things uh, through the spirit of God. Somehow uh, he could see things that other people couldn't see. And, and so Joseph is the guy that I want us to look at. Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 5. If you have your Bible, I want us to look at five realities this weekend of our big dreams. Five realities of circling our big dreams. Genesis chapter 37, verse 5 is where we pick up the story. Joseph had a dream. <clears throat> and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So they were already mad at him. They already hated him on some level just because they knew he was his dad's favorite. But then he starts having these dreams, and when he tells them the dream, which you're about to see the details of in verse 6, the brothers don't like that. Look, verse 6, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers, look, verse 8, his brothers said to him, for real? Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Look, and they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Yeah, I would imagine. Look, verse 9. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Oh, good. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And they're like, oh, please, please tell us. And this time, so he does, the sun and the moon and not all the stars, just 11 stars bow down to, yep, you guessed it, me. <laughs> Look, verse 10, when he told his father, so he didn't just tell the brothers, he tells his dad too, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. What are you doing? And he said, what is this dream you had? For real? Look, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? They were mad. Verse 11, look, his brothers were jealous of him. But, and I find this interesting, his father kept the matter in mind. That it wasn't just, yeah, yeah, just dismiss it as teenage youthfulness, whatever. His brothers were ticked. But his dad put it in the back of his head and never really forgot this dreams that Joseph had. If you want to write down a few notes of these five realities of of big dreams in our life. Here's the first one, and particularly concerning Joseph, it's this. Number one, notice that Joseph's life started with big dreams and big potential. Notice that Joseph's life started with big dreams and big potential. Joseph could see big things in his future. He saw himself somehow ruling over his family and leading others in some large capacity. Even though the details of all of that were fuzzy, the dream was every bit real in his heart that Joseph could, could dream these big dreams. His life started out with this amazing potential. And let me just say this. Throughout this message, as I mentioned a minute ago, I want to I backfill some of the Next Level Church story and some of Sarah and I's story. And I actually want to talk about some things this weekend that I've never talked about in this type of format or venue in 11 years since we started Next Level. And, and here's why, because again, I recognize that there are some of us who, who are new to next level, and I think it's important for us as we progress forward into the big dreams that God has for us as a church in the years to come, it's important for us to understand how all of this came to be. And so for me, 
And my journey, my story, from the time I was 16 years old, I have felt like the Lord put inside of me a big dream to use my life to, le- be, to, to lead in my generation. And it, Sarah and I didn't always know what that meant. We didn't, didn't always understand it completely. But in those teen years, God really began to birth inside of me this, this calling, if you will, to lead in my generation. And as it started to take shape, it really began to look like three things. First, I felt so strongly, even as a a 16-year-old kid at summer camp, I I felt like the Lord had called me to pastor, to be a shepherd of God's people. The second calling that I felt so strongly about the time I was 18 was, was this calling to write. That somehow, some way, God would use my, uh, my life through the discipline of writing, through the written word, to impact and inspire uh, uh, people. And then the third calling that I felt has been on me since I was a teenager was this calling to, to lead leaders, to lead at a large level somehow in our nation and in our world. That those are the three calls. I remember when Sarah and I were engaged, sitting in the driveway of the house that I was living in at the time, and us sitting in the car talking about it. And, and again, like Joseph, the details of all of that were fuzzy to us at the time, but, but, but it was no less real. Like we knew that God had something big for us. God had a big calling, a big plan for us, a big dream that he wanted uh, to dream for us and wanted us to dream. And my first challenge to us listening this weekend in all of our services is this. What's your dream? Do you know? Because I believe God has a big dream that he wants you and I to dream for our lives as well. Just as Joseph did, just as Sarah and I have for over 20 years, dreamed a big dream that God would use our life, that goes beyond just the daily grind. And maybe you're here and and, and you've never thought about that. Maybe you've never given yourself permission to think that God could want to use your life to not just go through the motions and just go to work every day and be a good foot soldier on your job and just raise, you know, the family and just pay the bill. Maybe, maybe, just maybe you've never given yourself permission. And so my first challenge to us this weekend is this. What's your dream? What's the big dream of God? Maybe, maybe you've never had the courage to tell anyone. Maybe you've never told a spouse. Maybe you've never confided in a friend. Maybe, maybe you've never even had the courage to voice it out loud back to God. And if so, I just want to challenge you. I am praying that this weekend, in this moment, over the next few minutes, God would bring inspiration and life to that big dream that he dreams for your life. So here's Joseph, this teenage kid who can see things in the spirit, who dreams big dreams. And so the story goes on in the book of Genesis, and uh, the brothers go out to take care of the sheep one day. And so uh, after a a while, Jacob, the father, sends Joseph out with some sub sandwiches, and he's like, hey, go make sure the brothers are taken care of. Trust me, it's in there. And so uh, he goes out, Joseph, you know, sandwich artist, boom, delivers, takes the sandwiches out. And when the brothers see Joseph coming, they, they conspire a plan that this jealousy thing has just reached a fever pitch. And they, they see him coming and they devise a plan to kill him. Look, uh, verse 18. But they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Verse 25. As they sat down to eat their meal, sounds like Subway, doesn't it? I told you. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Verse 26. Judah, one of the brothers, said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, 
he grows a conscience right here. He is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Oh, great. I'm glad you're not going to kill me. You're just going to sell me as a slave. Awesome. And look at what the brothers say. His brothers agreed. They do it. And so Joseph comes out to them and they apprehend him and they get the attention of these Ishmaelites and they sell their brother Joseph, this dreamer, this one who started his life with big dreams and big potential. They sell him into slavery to the Ishmaelites. And in that moment, Joseph's dream entered into a dark season. Number two, if you're taking notes, five realities of our big dreams. The second one is this. Every dream goes through dark seasons. Joseph's dream was misunderstood. Joseph's dream was judged prematurely and looked down upon. See, when Joseph was sold into slavery, he entered into the dark season of his dream, and it lasted a long, long time. Before Sarah and I moved to Southwest Florida to start Next Level Church 11 years ago, we were serving as national youth directors for a small fellowship of churches based out of the Midwest. And... um, they were, they were training us up to, to basically become the heir apparent of that fellowship. And then there was a mother church associated with it in Fort Wayne, Indiana, about 2,000 people. And, and so they, were, they had started with the language that Matt would one day be the pastor of this mega church and that he would oversee these 150 churches in the fellowship. And so they had started to, to train us up in that. And through a period of uh, several months, suddenly uh, there were questions, there were accusations, not toward us, but toward some of the leadership that was happening there. I've never told this story publicly in this environment uh, like this before. And Sarah and I suddenly began, I was 25, she was 23, looked on at this thing and we're like, God, what is going on like this? We thought the dream to lead at a large level, to write, to pastor, we thought, we thought this was the plan, like we could see it, like it was, it was there, it was the wheels were in motion, starting to turn, and suddenly we found ourselves in this place, as this young couple going, I think there's a crack in the foundation, and I'm not sure we can stay here. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know what's going on, but, but even if we stay, and even if in 10 years or whatever, we suddenly take the reins of this thing, it's, there's, a, there's a flaw, there's a crack in the foundation, and I don't think it's right. I don't think we can stay. And I remember setting up an appointment. That's when God resurrected the vision for us to move to Southwest Florida and plant a church. And I remember when we set up the appointment to go in and meet with the bishop, who was kind of the founder of the whole deal. And then his son, who was the president and the pastor of that big church, and my boss. And we sat down with him, and we basically shared with him the vision of this. Of planting a church like nothing we'd ever seen before in Southwest Florida. And I remember them looking back at us and saying some things, and basically over the course of that meeting insinuating, well, okay, fine. If that's what you want to do, then see you later. Those of you Bible people, they extended to us the left foot of fellowship. Paul wrote in the New Testament, we extended the right hand of fellowship. No, 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 we got the left foot of fellowship. And in that moment, Sarah and I entered into a dark season of our dream. And for the next several years, we walked into the most lonely, dark season that we have ever experienced. And even the whole writing thing, that dream of influencing through the written word just for so many years, just for almost 15 years, feeling like that writing, like I had something to say, but just it wasn't, it wasn't the time. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't there. 
Our dream entered into a dark season. Every dream will go through dark seasons. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. Maybe you look at your dream and things just look dark. Can I just encourage you, don't give up. Fight discouragement with everything that's within you. Listen, hold on. Keep focusing on God. Don't lose sight of the dream. And whatever you do, don't take your eyes off of the Lord. Even if your dream right now looks dark. So here's Joseph, this one who started out with big potential and big dreams. Here's this Joseph guy who who could see it all sold into slavery. And so the Ishmaelites take uh, Joseph out of his own country and they take him down to the nation of Egypt and they sell him into slavery into a wealthy guy named Potiphar's house. And the Bible t- goes on to tell us that this, this Potiphar uh, was, was the, this wealthy guy that Joseph suddenly became a slave of. And so here he is, this, this dreamer, in the midst of this dark season, and yet somehow, some way, Joseph was able to keep his heart pure and right before the Lord. He didn't turn his eyes away from God. And God blessed him. Look, chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Because Joseph was able in the midst of this dark season of his dream to keep his heart right before the Lord, God honored him and God blessed him. But... Even as Joseph rose to become in charge of this entire household, it came with a test. See, number three, if you're taking notes, every dream is a test of our heart. Every dream from God is a test of our heart. See, God blessed Joseph and caused him to become the boss over all of Potiphar's wealth. And therein lies the test. See, God knew the plan that he had for Joseph. He knew where his story was going. And so this moment in Potiphar's house was a test. Could he be trusted? Because remember, the last time God gave him a little bit of revelation, a little bit of trust, gave him some visions, Joseph got all arrogant about it and was like, what up, boys? Listen to this. Bow down. What's up now? And God was like, nope, that ain't going to work. And so this moment in Potiphar's house, as God's blessing him, suddenly it was a test of his heart. And not just a, a, a power test, but there was, there was a purity, there was a, there was a heart test, a, a moral test involved as well. Because see, as Joseph rose through the ranks in Potiphar's house, suddenly Potiphar's wife thought that he was fine sugar. And so one day, she was attracted to him. What, sorry. <clears throat> one day, Potiphar's on a business trip, and Potiphar's wife starts hitting on Joseph. And she's like, come sleep with me, come sleep with me, come sleep with me. Look what, look what Joseph says, verse 8. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except, well, you, because you're his wife. And then look what he says to her. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin Look, not against Potiphar, against God. 
Joseph understood that to, to cave in this moment, to, to fail this test with Potiphar's wife, was not just a sin against her or against Potiphar. It would be a sin against God. And so Joseph passed the test. Man, he did it. He resisted temptation. And he, he, he did it. And listen, if this were an American movie, this is where the credits would start to roll and it would say, and everyone lived happily ever after. But it's not. It's reality. It's the Bible. And instead of everyone living happily ever after, because Joseph passed the test, instead Potiphar's wife gets angry with him and accuses him of raping her. And so she goes to her husband and says, Joseph made a pass at me. Joseph tried to rape me. And Joseph is falsely accused of a crime he did not commit. And he finds himself thrown into a prison, thrown into a dungeon, falsely accused. Here's this this guy who can see big things, who's got tremendous potential, who dreams big dreams. Thrown into a dungeon. Falsely accused. And even in the midst of the dungeon, somehow, some way, Joseph kept his heart right before the Lord. Look, verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Joseph kept his heart right, even during the most dark season of his soul. Even when his dream looked like it was all but gone. Joseph kept his heart right and God blessed him. And I remember the first few years of planting Next Level Church 11 years ago when we moved here and how lonely we felt, how disenfranchised, how disconnected, just how, how left for dead we felt from all of those that we had trusted, all of those who had been mentors and, and, and models and, and peers to us. And I'll never forget those early days so many times feeling like we had been left for dead, not just by people, but some days we actually felt like we had been left for dead by God. That's how all this started. It was lonely, and the dream of God was hard, and it was difficult, and it was extremely dark. And even uh, after the uh, three or four years, as this thing started to take off and Next Level Church started to gain traction, even after that, we started to reach out to other pastors and started to just lead leaders and we just call people and just encourage them. And God started to bless that. And this tribe of pastors and churches started to grow and build. And our influence started to, to grow. And I'd find myself repeating a story here and a principle there. And then a couple weeks later, talking to another guy and talking the same story and the same principle. And suddenly I realized, okay, if it works for him and it worked for me and it works for him, it's probably a, a reproducible universal principle. And so I collected all of those in this dream of, of and call of to write, and that's what became known as the Up the Middle Church, which is my book that I self-published a few years ago. It's available in the cafe. Some of you read it. And even with that, even with that, feeling like, okay, here we go. Here we go. And, And when I wrote the manuscript for the Up the Middle Church and 
started to send it to publishers and submit it to some national publishers across the country, hearing them one after another after another say, no, no, no. And one publisher actually in particular liked us a lot. And I made it all the way up like eight different reviews. I got all the way to like the final review deal, like eighth one. And they said, you know, you're a good writer. Your, your principles are solid. We like what you have to say. And we were, like, we really thought, all right, it's going to happen. Like, here we go. This is the dream. Like, all right, they're going to want the book. And I remember one morning getting an email back from this publisher, and basically they said, you know, we, we've looked at it, and you're a good writer and, and great principles, and you're, it's, it's put together well. We really like what you're doing here, but we've met as a review board, and not enough people know who you are. So sorry. No. And man, I remember just reading that email and my wife and I just being crushed. I'll never forget. We went to Perkins for breakfast. <laughs> no, listen, when, you, when, you're, when you're down in the dumps, you go to Perkins for... No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I can still see us sitting in that booth. And I was crying, and she was crying. In that moment, the dream to write, the dream to influence, the dream to lead leaders, that, that morning, sitting at that booth, the dream died. It felt like we were in the dungeon, like Joseph. And see, here's what we have to understand about big dreams. Every dream has to die at some point. Every dream has to, has to die. Joseph's dream died in that dungeon for 13 long years. Sarah and I's dream died. It felt like it would never happen. And maybe you're here in this place this weekend. And you look at the dream of God in your life. And it feels like it's in a dungeon. It feels like it's dead. That dream you've always had for your marriage to be something more. It feels dead today that dream you've had for your career that feels dead that pile of debt that, that, that you're living under the pressure the weight it just it feels today like the dream of getting out of debt is going to just it's going to bury you it's going to be the death of you that that idea that for ministry that that idea for a business uh, to, to influence to leverage your life to make an impact on someone else today maybe you're here and it feels like that dream is dead that, that guilt that you've been carrying around inside of you, that shame from, from decisions of your past that has just weighed you down and it's, it just has killed your confidence over and over and over again. It feels like it's killed the dream inside of you. And can I just tell you that even in the midst of the dungeon, even when we feel like our dream is dead, God is not 
absent, though he may be silent as it relates to our dream. Someone needs to hear that today. God is not absent, though he may be silent where your dream is concerned. Because, see, every dream has to die at some point because, according to the Bible, every dream has resurrection potential inside of it. See, it's necessary that that every dream that God dreams over our life must come to a moment in time where it dies because only after something dies is it capable of resurrection potential. And so, yes, every dream that God places inside of our heart must go through a season of the dungeon where it feels like it's dead because every dream of God that he's placed inside of us has resurrection potential inside of it. See, it was in the midst of this dungeon season, this this season where Joseph's dream filled like a million miles away, that he found himself day in and day out just surrounded by the prison warden, his buddy, and different inmates. And so what does someone do who finds himself in a dungeon season, who has the gift to interpret dreams and see things? He uses his gift. And so the Bible tells us that Joseph would use his gift as inmates would filter in and filter out. And the Bible gives us uh, specifics about two inmates that came in. One was a baker and one was a butler. And one night, these, this, this baker and this butler have these dreams. And they wake up and they're kind of all like, you know, freaked out about it. And they start to share their dreams. And Joseph's like, well, you know, I'm kinda, I kind of do the whole dream thing. Go ahead and tell me and let's see what we come up with. And like, great. And so the baker starts and he shares his dream. And Joseph listens and he listens and he listens. And then he looks at, the, at, the, at the, but, or the baker and he says, man, it doesn't look good for you. Tell me your dream. And the butler tells him his dream. And he listens and he listens and he goes, you know what? It looks good for you. And he looks back at the baker and he says, yeah, Pharaoh, the king yeah he's got it in for you your na- your days are numbered it's ooh, it's not it, it ain't pretty and then he looks at the butler he says but good news for you my man <laughs> heads or tails you ended up heads Pharaoh likes you and you're going to be back in the palace in no time and sure enough within a matter of days the baker whoo, went this way and the butler whoo, he went this way and he ended up in the palace again J- uh, Joseph was exactly right he used his gift in the dungeon He did what he was called and gifted to do, even when nobody was watching. And so, fast forward the story several years. Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the nation of Egypt, wakes up one night with this incredible, crazy dream. And he is scared, and he is freaked out, and he doesn't understand the meaning of it. And so he calls all of the smartest guys in the kingdom together, and he gets scientists, and he gets magicians, and he gets astrologers, and all these people in the room. And he's like, guys, can you help me interpret this dream? And all of the smartest people in Egypt couldn't interpret the dream. And Pharaoh's getting more and more upset by the minute, and he's like, I need someone that can tell me what this dream means. I need to know what I'm supposed to do with this information that I feel like has been dropped in my head. And sure enough, a butler hears him talking like this and says, you know what? A funny thing, sir. I know a guy. He's actually down in the dungeon. Look, chapter 41, verse 12. Now, this is, this is the butler telling Pharaoh the story. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. He, we, we told him our dreams, 
And he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dreams. Verse 13, and the things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. Wow, there it is. Look, verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly, quickly brought from the dungeon. Listen, when the time was right, God lifted Joseph up out of that dungeon and into the palace. And isn't it interesting that one seemingly inconsequential small act of obedience in the dungeon when no one was watching, interpreting some butler guy's dream, opened the door for the palace. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph and they clean him up. He showers, he shaves, he comes into Pharaoh. Pharaoh shares the dream. And Joseph, through the Spirit of God, interprets the dream for Pharaoh. And he says, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. The next seven years are going to be amazing. And we need to gather as many of those crops as we can and store them. Because after seven years, the next seven years are going to be all famine. And it's going to get desperate around here. And so, Pharaoh, that's the interpretation to your dream. And here's what I'd recommend, that you find someone who's really creative, really smart, really visionary, can really see things to lead your nation through this. And Pharaoh's like, hmm, do you know anybody like that? Wait, why don't you do it? And in a moment's time, Pharaoh appoints Joseph to become the number two most powerful man in all of the nation of Egypt. And for the next seven years... Joseph leads his, this nation of Egypt through these bumper crops and he, he builds the barns and he stores all of these, these things. And then after seven years, sure enough, just as the dream foretold, famine hits. And it doesn't just hit the nation of Egypt, it hits that entire region of the world, including the land where a man named Jacob and his 11 sons were living. And several years into that famine, these guys are starving to death. And Jacob, in a, in a Hail Mary pass, there's a little Super Bowl weekend reference for you, knock yourself out. In a Hail Mary pass, calls his boys in and he says, brothers, I've heard that Egypt, they've got food down there. Why don't you guys go down and just beg and just see if they would be willing to give us some food. And so these 11 brothers load up in their caravan and they take off. And they go to Egypt, and where do they go but the palace of the Pharaoh? And they walk in, and who is there to greet them except the number two most powerful man in all of the nation? And Joseph recognizes the brothers, but they don't recognize him because after all, it's been over 20 years since they last saw him. And in that moment of desperation, the 11 brothers bow down at Joseph's feet. Thus, making the dreams come true. Every dream has resurrection potential inside of it. Every dream has resurrection potential inside of it. Joseph's dream, your dream, and my dream. And Next Level Church, listen, I want you to know that I believe we are living in a Pharaoh calling season. I believe the last two years of Next Level Church have been some of the most 
Pharaoh moment uh, uh, convergences that we have ever seen since we've moved in here just to, to see what God has done, to hear the stories of one after another after another of life change, of how God has impacted so many of your lives, of, of lives of students, of lives of children, lives of marriages that have been restored and saved, to see God literally bringing salvation to, to, to hundreds and hundreds of people, five services, the fact that God gave us 7.3 acres of land on Gateway Boulevard so we could go out there and build another one of these this year is miraculous. It's a Pharaoh calling moment. And not just here, Next Level Church, in Southwest Florida, but listen, God has been bringing these Pharaoh moments and convergence, not just here, but for our, our nation as well. It was a year ago, right about this time, that I was contacted by a literary agent. Now, a literary agent is kind of like a real estate agent. A real estate agent basically takes properties and people and hooks them together. A literary agent takes authors with messages like myself and publishing companies and hooks them together. And about a year ago at this time, I was contacted by a literary agent out of Colorado. And she said, I read your book, The Up the Middle, and I've been watching your videos online. And I think there's something in you. And I think you have the ability to be a voice in the body of Christ today. And if there are any more books inside of you that you want to write, why don't you call me? And crazy thing, small, inconsequential, she got my name. She learned of me uh, on a, a conference website that said I was speaking at it that I didn't even know I was speaking at. I'm on the phone with her. I'm like, how'd you, how'd you hear about me? She goes, oh, well, you're speaking at whatever conference. And I'm like, I am? My, my buddy had gotten invited to speak there, and he goes, well, I'm speaking there, but I want Matt Keller to speak with me. So they had posted my name and my information and my bio and stuff on their website, and he had just not told me yet. <laughs> dungeon moments, baby, dungeon moments. So anyway, a year ago, I signed with this literary agent, and she's been unbelievable, and I submitted a couple of book proposals to her. And over the course of last spring, she began to send those out to some of the top Christian publishers. And last May, May the 12th, on the 10-year anniversary to the day of starting Next Level Church, I signed a contract with Thomas Nelson, the number one largest Christian publisher in the world, to write my first two books with them. Yeah, it's incredible. So my first book uh, is scheduled to release this coming September, and it's a life theme book, which basically means it's, it's, there are pieces of my story, there are pieces of our story, Next Level Church, inside of the book. And the title of the book is called The God of the Underdogs, The God of the Underdogs. And the big idea around the Underdogs book is that when you study the Bible, what we discover is that everyone God used in a great way was an underdog, everyone everyone in the Bible, including Joseph, was an underdog. That They had to overcome some underdog excuse in order for God to use their life and for them to live their destiny and change their world. And so God of the Underdogs is a book that will come out in September that basically um, identifies nine Bible heroes and the nine underdog excuses they had to overcome because those nine excuses are the same excuses that you and I Average, everyday underdogs living in our world today have to overcome as well. You guys, I'm so excited. I'm so excited about this message of the underdogs, our story. 
and the story of these Bible heroes getting into the hands. I believe this book can be not just a book, but a movement. And Thomas Nelson and I are so excited about it. And one of the things that we're going to be able to do this September is not just premiere the book and our story, but we're going to be able to invite hundreds and hundreds of other churches to do a, a big, you know, a creative series in the month of September, which is a high growth month for churches like ours all across the country. And so listen to this. We are going to invite, we have a goal to see hundreds and hundreds of churches across the United States use the God of the Underdog book as, as the, the impetus for an outreach series where they can reach out and tell their people to go invite their friends and coworkers and classmates. And our goal is to see hundreds and hundreds of churches across our nation do the God of the Underdog series absolutely free this fall. <laughs> Every dream has resurrection potential inside of it. So what does that mean for all of us? Well, a couple of things. Number one, of course, we're asking you to begin circling that whole thing in prayer and begin circling in prayer this God of the underdog's message. The last three pages of the book, I talk about Jesus, who was the ultimate underdog. Because see, up until Jesus, I'll give away the ending, uh, death was undefeated. But when Jesus, the ultimate underdog, came and he died on the cross... He defeated sin and death once and for all. And basically, there's a sinner's prayer, right? Like we just, it's an altar call in page form. Like it's, that's, the, that's how the book ends. You guys, we have such, a, such a, a, a strong awareness in our spirit that God wants to use this message of the underdogs to just inspire and reach and touch tens of thousands of people this fall. So first of all, I would ask that you would just begin circling that in prayer with us. And then secondly, if you know someone, See, the great thing about Southwest Florida is we're all from somewhere. Unless we were born here, we're from somewhere. I got that figured out for you. There you go. Thanks, you're welcome. <laughs> unless you're from somewhere, you were born here. Or unless you were born here, you're from somewhere. Uh, maybe I don't got to figure it out as much as I thought I did. Here's, here's the deal. <clears throat> There's a good chance that all of us uh, probably were a part of a church in another city somewhere. Or uh, we've got a friend who goes to a great church in some other city in America, whatever. Here's the deal. We have a goal to see hundreds and hundreds of churches participate in the God of the Underdog series this fall. And so there's a website there in your bulletin. It's on the screen as well. Send them this information, would you? Theunderdogsbook.com. Theunderdogsbook.com. This all goes super live, public, on social media and on the internet tomorrow morning. But because you're next level, what up? We wanted to give you guys... A sneak peek at it. So the website is up. It's running. So I, I'm asking you this. Listen, if whatever other churches you're connected with, somewhere else in the country, whatever, we, want, our, we have a goal to see hundreds of churches utilize this underdog message to inspire people to push past their excuses, live their destiny, and change their world. That's our heart. So send them to theunderdogsbook.com, uh, and they can register their church right there. Now, okay, back to us real quick. What about you? What about your dream? Does it feel like it's dead? Does it feel like it's in a dark season? Here's the deal. Every dream has resurrection potential in it. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us. That God would infuse life back into those dreams that perhaps have been laying dormant or have even felt like they were dead in our hearts. Can we pray together? God, thank you for this moment in time where you would look down at us and place big dreams in our heart. Father, I pray for those who just maybe even by the hundreds this weekend 
have struggled with the dream that we, we've been dreaming. And so, Lord, I pray for those of us who are here this weekend who we feel like the dream is distant. We feel like the dream has gone dark. Even some of us, we feel kind of like the dream is dead. Lord, I pray resurrection life into our dreams. God, it, I get chills when I imagine what's possible when every single one of us stop living just to exist and instead start living like we're pursuing the dream of a lifetime. God, thank you that you are a God of big dreams. May we go after them like never before. Lord, this is our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen.